Hello and welcome to Become a Competent Biblical Counselor. My name is Dr. Dave Jones and today's episode is entitled Biblical Counseling and the Church. And today's scripture is Colossians 3:16, where it says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I want to start this episode off with quoting a book by Reverend John MacArthur entitled Counseling. He says, Ever since apostolic times, counseling has occurred in the church as a natural function of corporate spiritual life. After all, the New Testament itself commands believers to admonish one another in Romans 15:14, encourage one another Hebrews 3:13, comfort one another with these words 1 Thessalonians 4:18, encourage one another and build up one another 1 Thessalonians 5:11, and confess your sins one to another and pray for one another. Many years ago in our churches we started out with going to the churches if we had problems with our families, with our marriages, with our lives. We went to church. We spoke with the elders of the church. We spoke with the pastors. That's something that we did. We went to the church. And in so being, we went to the cures of Christ, and we got them. There was a spiritual base, a foundation of security, knowing that if we had any kind of issues in our lives, we would go to church. We would go to the Bible. Our faith was different than it is today. So just what is it that's going on in our churches? And how does this concept that I'm beating the drum on, this biblical counseling endeavor, fit in today? Churches are starting to come back to counseling. We're getting something called Christian counseling. We're also uh, experimenting with this brand new thing called biblical counseling, and it's starting to take hold. And I mentioned in previous episodes that there is a dichotomy between Christian counseling and biblical counseling, and that's something we're not going to get into right now. But the point that I want to make is that a lot of times pastors are just not equipped to handle counseling, to be involved with counseling. And just why is that, you may ask? Well, our seminaries and our Bible colleges don't teach it. Oh, there might be a few courses here and there, but when it comes to actually majoring in the field of counseling, it just isn't that numerous or that prevalent in our seminaries and Bible colleges. In fact, I mentioned in a previous episode that I went to a Southern Baptist seminary asking to get my degree in counseling they didn't have a program like that, but they started one based upon my inquiry to become involved. And to further my point with respect to pastors just not being that involved with counseling today, I walked into a pastor's office one day, and on the way into his office, I passed his secretary's desk, who happened to have a stack of business cards on her desk, and I picked one up and looked at it, and it was a psychologist, a local psychologist in the community, And so I asked the pastor, I said, uh, so what's with the psychologist's business card on your secretary's desk? He says, well, we make referrals to them, and and they handle the issues that our our congregants are are having difficulties with. 
And I said, Pastor, I said, so you're sending people with spiritual problems to outsiders providing secular solutions. Well, he wasn't very appreciative of that because he had no way to respond contrary. But I was right. We spend so many times and we've been so convinced in our churches that we just don't we just don't do counseling. I went to a very large church in one of the largest cities in Florida and I asked the pastor, I said, so is this a counseling church? Do you have a counseling ministry? He says, oh yes we do. We in fact, that gentleman standing right over there, he oversees our counseling ministry. He says, I'll introduce you. So I went over and spoke with him and we talked for a while and I said, well tell me about your counseling ministry. I said, what, how do you handle that? What's going on? How many people do you have involved? And, and what are their backgrounds? I'm really interested in helping you to develop your counseling ministry even further. He says, well, we have three counselors, and they do just a great job, and I'll introduce you to them. Well, the first gentleman he introduced me to was a single man that had never gone to a seminary or a Bible college. In fact, he was still living with his parents. He was unmarried, had no children. And I said, so, I said, Tell me about your counseling. How did you get into that? So he made a feeble effort to tell me that was his part of his job. And I said, I understand that. Okay. Talked to another young man. He was 26 years old. He was married and he had a child. And uh, he also was in charge of the student ministry. And he had really no experience or training in counseling at all. But it was more or less, I come to realize, a definition and instruction of the job description that these two gentlemen had in being on the staff of this church. But they were all very proud and happy of the fact that they were a part of a large church that had a counseling ministry who had counselors that had no experience in the field of counseling, number one. Number two, had no understanding of the utilization of the Bible in counseling. It was just a part of their job description. And then there was another church that I asked Tell me about your counseling ministry. Well, well, the deacons and the elders handle all of our counseling. I said, really? What does that involve? Does it involve teaching? Does it involve exhortation? Or rebuke? What, does that, what does that involve? Well, they do a lot of praying for people who, who come to see them. I said, okay. So there's really no attempt to identify sin. There's really no attempt to initiate change. There's just prayer. I said, well, yeah, they, we find that to be quite effective. And I said, it is. I understand. And then my third example is a church that just kind of looked at me when I said, well, tell me about your counseling ministry. Well, we um, really haven't had a call for that. I said, really? You don't have any people in your in your church, in your pews that are having problems with their life, with depression, or their families, or their marriages? You have a church full of perfect people that just don't need any help at all and if they need do need help what are they doing where are they going and what is your involvement in the community as far as helping the community that are having problems uh, that are not members of your church are you open to helping them as well he says well we just don't have a call for counseling and i said maybe you don't have a call for counseling because it's known that you don't have an interest in providing counseling Anyway, so that's my soap opera. Uh, let me continue. We are realizing today that there are many leaders in our churches that are bombarded with so much that they have to do that they really don't have time to spend with counseling. So why not involve the church? 
why not involve the lay people of the church in teaching them how to counsel one another and teaching them how to apply biblical concepts to and principles to people that are sitting in the pews right next to them. We have it going on right now. We have people in our pews that are hurting, that are just looking for some hope in the church. We also have other people in the church who have been there for a long time, who are really structured biblically, who have wonderful life stories with how God helped them to get through various difficulties in their lives. Why not take those people, those experienced people with life and a desire and a, a, a loving approach to wanting to help people, not only in the church, but people in our community. We have in our, people in our communities who have been to church for a long time, but now they don't go anymore. For various reasons, they just don't go anymore. But you know what? They still have problems. And many times we found out that there are people, when they have problems in the community and they're not affiliated with the church, the first thing that they, that they do is call the church. So why not have people ready at the church to stand in and, and relieve and replace the leadership of the church to assume the responsibility of counseling one another? One of the ways that you can do that, a lot of churches nowadays have small groups. So why not identify a small group that's a biblical counseling small group? These people get together who really want to learn how to become competent biblical counselors, and they share ideas and experiences with each other as far as the counseling opportunities that they've had in the days and the weeks before they meet. Now, these small group discussions have to be very, very confidential. Insofar as the people who are the actual counselors who are discussing cases with each other, do not use names of their counselees. They don't need to. What's the purpose of using a name? There's no purpose at all, so don't do it. But you can sit around and you can say, you know what? I had a problem with this one person that I was speaking to last week. She had a problem with anger, and this is what I did. And I showed these verses. I showed her what to do with this and how to accomplish this. And But I don't seem that I did as much as I could. Now this is an opportunity for other people in the small group to participate, add suggestions, add encouragement. Next time you could do this. Next time you might want to consider this. Oh, you know what? I never considered that you would do that. Why don't we do it this way? Why don't I next time I'm going to do it? It's a learning experience that people in the small group can, can learn from one another just by being in a place where they can share ideas and experiences in their counseling. Now, in addition to small groups, there's a Christian psychiatrist in South Africa. He has put together a program called Grannies on a Bench. He determined that in many of the churches in South Africa, there are many grandmother types in the church. So he says, you know, these women have a tremendous number of stories that they've gotten victory over through what Christ has done in their lives. Why not gather these grannies together and teach them how to counsel younger women. In fact, Titus 2, 3 through 6 says very succinctly, old women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, 
that the word of God may not be rivaled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Wow. Talk about scriptural justification for grannies on the bench. So you have a lady in your church that's young. She's got a couple of children and her husband just left her or her husband is abused or she's just totally confused and discouraged about being a mother and being a wife. Who does she turn to? Does she turn to social media? Well, maybe there's an opportunity that she, in going to church, she says, if I only knew of somebody in the church that I could talk to, why not make it known in the church that you have an organization called Grannies on the Bench? Now these younger women can call the church and say, I need to speak to a granny on a bench. Imagine, on the phone, she can talk to an older Christian that's had tremendous experiences and maybe can identify explicitly with what this younger woman is talking about. What an opportunity it is for the layperson of the church to disciple and to, to encourage the younger people to apply God's Word to their life, to let them know that they're not in this by themselves. Then again, you might have people in the community who have long been away from churches. What an opportunity it would be for them to call the church and say, I need some help with my teenage son. Can I talk to a granny on a bench? Something like that. Create programs like that. You don't have to wait for the pastorate or the leadership of the church to put these together. Do something with the lay people. You've got so many people in your church that would just love to be involved and learn how to be a competent biblical counselor. So why not give them that opportunity and be a blessing to your church and to, and to the counselors and the people receiving the help. So let's get the churches involved like it used to be, even more so with the resources that we have through the people that we have in our churches to become competent biblical counselors. I hope this has helped. So I hope this has been helpful to you today. If you have any concerns or questions, just write to me at BibleHelp4, that's the number for you, at gmail.com. BibleHelp4, you, Y-O-U, at gmail.com. Have a great day, and we'll talk to you in our next episode. <music>